Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF and online at thefootballgirl.com. Many of you had fantasy drafts this past weekend. Many of you have drafts in the coming days. We just had a major roster move with the Jacksonville Jaguars releasing Leonard Fournette. We are about to have a wave of cuts, some of which are bound to have fantasy consequences. We are now knee deep in the mire, my friends, and... I think uh, that the chaos of NFL roster shakeups uh, is actually probably has never been as welcome as it is in 2020. And here with me now to help sort things out is Jason Wood, a very longtime member of the great team at Football Guys. As Sigmund Bloom likes to say, Jason is a fantasy OG. He's a financial wizard by day and then goes into a phone booth at five o'clock, takes off his tie and puts on his fantasy cape, helping people with their investment portfolios one moment and then their fantasy portfolios the next. He's a repeat guest on this show and one of my very favorite people to talk to. Find him on Twitter at FBG Wood. Jason, my friend, welcome back. My friend, that is quite the introduction. I, I, uh, if this were a video blog, I'd be blushing, be bright red. So that's very <laughs> nice of you. I must say before we jump in, I always laugh because you're right. Sigmund and Cecil and all those guys always refer to me and guys like Bob Henry as uh, as the as the OGs because we predate them but it just cracks me up because I always feel now especially it, that it makes me seem like this this old venerable wizened uh, tribal elder and you know I'm I'm 46 years old and as is Sigmund like we're we're the same age it's just that I started at football guys 18 years ago and he started 17 years ago so it's kind of a funny joke like he He's he's got everyone in the world thinking me as as the OG, even though it's it's pretty much we've been in lockstep together through the whole thing. Yeah, it's all relative. You've got the twenty somethings who you are an OG to them because they were you know in uh, grade school when you were first getting started at <laughs> football guys. Right. But then then oh. we've got guys like last week. I had Sean Corner on, and his dad has been playing since nineteen eighty five. So that is the an entirely different class of OG right there <laughs> for sure. Uh, All right. First things first, my man. Uh, We are recording this just hours after the news broke that the Jaguars were releasing Leonard Fournette. Uh, There are two angles on this. First, who stands to gain in Jacksonville? Ryquel Armstead was number two on the depth chart last year. They added Chris Thompson in the offseason. Uh, former Saints, Divino Zigbo is getting some training camp buzz. And James Robinson is kind of an interesting undrafted free agent from Illinois State who Alex Dunlap of Roster Watch mentioned on this show as a potential sleeper way back in April before the draft. Um, and second, you know, where we might see Fournette land uh, with the Bears, with the Buccaneers, with the Rams, with your Philadelphia Eagles, Jason Wood. Uh, but let's start with the Jaguars situation. 
I already had a follower reach out to me today and tell me he picked up Armstead and Thompson. And this guy plays in a league where the rosters aren't especially deep. I think they drafted 16 spots. So I'm not sure I even, uh, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it, Jason, but it seems so murky to me that if I'm going to invest, I want to do it as cheaply as possible. Uh, I'm not drafting Chris Thompson in the eighth round, even in a PPR league. I'm not drafting Christian or dropping Christian Kirk or Anthony Miller to add Divino Zigbo. Uh, I don't know. What are your initial thoughts on this? Well, as usual, uh, my friend, we are of like mind. Uh, listen, first of all, I think relative to Fournette's release, the timing is a bit surprising because I think we're now at the point where people assumed he had made it through the ringer. Uh, but recall that because of, of, of prior season off the field issues and the like, the team had removed all of his guarantees as, uh, because he had, they determined he had violated his contract. So they were want to do that before last season. And then he ended up having a good year last year, but point being, so there was no real financial implication to letting him go. Um, which is why we probably shouldn't have been as surprised as seemingly that we are. Um, you know, you mentioned the obvious names. I, I think though that you framed it correctly, which is that uh, I'm sure you're in the same, but I do a lot of best ball leagues over the course of, of the spring and summer for two reasons. One, they're fun Two, I also find that doing them helps me get a better understanding of where players are viewed um, by different cohorts and you get a better sense of ADP and where the value disparities are. And I bring that up because uh, I'm very happy to say that I was drafting Reichwell Armstead in a ton of best balls extremely late because he was going in that tail end of the obvious backup running back tier uh, because Jacksonville wasn't perceived to be a very good team. He was one of the cheaper guys that you knew for sure would be uh, a workhorse if something happened to Fournette. So if you've if you're fortunate enough to have already drafted and you have a deep enough league where you've ra- we've rostered. Uh, Armstead, congratulations. It's like you you got a little bump in the value of your roster uh, and you saved yourself some fab dollars. But as you alluded, I think what probably as we're speaking, Armstead's value is skyrocketing or his perceived value is skyrocketing. And I suspect that this week of drafts, which will be plentiful, I, I would imagine much like we saw with Bryce Love a week or two ago and probably even more so because he's obviously going to be the starter. You're going to see Armstead's ADP just shoot up to a point where I'm no longer viewing it as value. Um, the bottom line is the Jaguars are a terrible team. <laughs> they they have summarily gotten rid of anyone on the roster that had a large contract, anyone that had um, material value outside of a rookie contract. Uh, I think that they're very much not owner Shad Khan's focus right now. He's focused on several other ventures, shall we say. And I think that they're in clearly in the camp of the tanking for Trevor Lawrence mode, which, which I think is probably smart for them to do. But point being, I just think Jacksonville is going to be a pretty terrible team. I think there's going to be a lot of unexciting game scripts. And so if you can get Armstead for the price you had to pay yesterday, by all means, good job. But I would not be focused on Armstead from here on out. Assuming, of course, that by the time we wrap up the show and we take a look at ADP, his 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 ADP has jumped into the mid round, mid the the middle rounds of the draft, which I suspect will happen. Oh yeah, I can't wait to see where uh, where he's going to go in these drafts that happen in the coming weeks. Like I can't wait to hear. I'm sure people are drafting tonight, uh, Monday, August 31st, and it would be fascinating to see. Where he lands, yeah, obviously, if you could get him for that handcuff price, that you know mid 
teens, late teens round value. Um, Cause he is going to at least have a foothold in this offense. You would think, I mean, maybe he's not the most valuable guy. Uh, I think you would agree that, you know, Chris Thompson is not going to be, he's not going to overstep his place as a passing down back. Would you agree with, with that? A- absolutely. I mean, Chris Thompson was never a thing in Washington like we wanted him to be. The fantasy analyst community seemed to always fall in love with Thompson every year about this time. And then you'd, you'd fast forward and look at the year-end fantasy standings and he wouldn't be in the top 45. Um, so yes, it's true. Chris Thompson is a favorite of new play caller Jay Gruden. Uh, he likely, even with Fournette there, would have been their situational third down receiving back in obvious passing downs. He probably does have that role now. He probably had it before today. Uh, but he's 30 years old. He has had a horrific injury history. And I just don't know why you would roster in, let's say, a typical 16-round draft a 30-year-old back who's missed 25-plus percent of his career games on a new team with bad game scripts. So he's a hard pass. Now, let me ask you this to sort of ease our way into part two of the discussion about where Fournette could land. Uh, Say you had a draft tonight. Would you still value Leonard Fournette uh, more than Raquel Armstead? Would you still be drafting Fournette without knowing his landing spot earlier than Armstead? Right. Yeah. Great question. Um, the answer is is the simple answer is no. I I as soon as the news broke, I did update uh, my projections and rankings on Football Guys, and it came out to Armstead jumping up to running back thirty seven. And this is PPR. Our, our baseline scoring system is PPR for the listeners. Uh, and uh, Fournette. Uh, who is now obviously in the projections as a free agent, I have at running back 42. Now, admittedly, that assumes 150 carries, which is a placeholder. It could be much more if he goes to a team where he's going to start. It could be much less if he ends up having a lukewarm market out there and has to sign with a team as the clear backup. So we'll just have to see. But yes, if I was drafting tonight, I would I would take Armstead over Fournette, although I suspect... Uh, per what we just talked about, Armstead will probably cost more tonight. So if I was drafting, I, I, in, they were both on the if they're both on the board at a place where I felt like taking my next running back, yes, I'd take I'd take Armstead over Fournette. But I suspect you can get Fournette later. Now that said, uh, in terms of where he can land, um, I threw out seven teams to the staff to this morning, and I'll throw them by you and see which ones resonate with you. Um, I threw out number one, and I think probably on all of our lists is the Bears because of what happened with David Montgomery. Uh, number two is the Washington football team, seemingly because, uh, first of all, why not, right? Because they seemingly make lots of bad decisions. But two, uh, it looks very much like Adrian Peterson is going to be the guy uh, at 35 years old. So why not? Uh, number three, Tampa Bay. Now, I know that's going to that's gonna bother a lot of people out there who have fully jumped on board the Ronald Jones train. And I'm open to Ronald Jones for sure, but... Uh, I have to say this week, I mean, there was a lot of buzz about Jones last week because Bruce Arians said very complimentary things of him. And also Keyshawn Vaughn, the rookie, seemingly hasn't carved out even a backup role. So it's viewed that he doesn't have much competition for touches, especially with LaShawn McCoy being there as the de facto number two at his age. But uh, I saw a few reports you probably did as well this week that Jones is back to looking really bad in the passing game. He dropped, I think I saw a report from one of the prominent beat writers I wish I remembered who to give him credit, but um, that that he dropped four consecutive passes in 11-11 drills. Um, so again, it's one day and it's one set of practices, and I don't overvalue that. Point being, I could see Tampa Bay signing him, and if that happens, that tells you 
that all of the bloviating we've heard from Arians about Jones was 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 not valid. Now, if if but that being said, if 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 they don't make a move on Fournette, then I think you could probably still buy into Ronald Jones as a as a potential sleeper at a fair price. Um, number four, you mentioned him, I think Pat is the Rams. Again, I don't expect that to happen. But if it did happen, it would tell you that they're very much not feeling great about Daryl Henderson, uh, who's banged up again. Um, and if that happened, I would assume it would be a timeshare between him and Akers. Uh, and then five is the Bengals. I think that's probably the aha one for your listeners. And I think that would tell us if that happens, that they're very much worried about Mixon's migraines, a.k.a. his contract um, dismay. And then six and seven are the Dolphins, because why not? I mean, the Dolphins do crazy things. And then the Patriots, because it's Bill Belichick. And has Belichick ever shied away from bringing on a experienced veteran? Uh, Belichick, if the Patriots sign him, it could be a thing where they bring him in for a week and then he cuts him. I, you know, that's that wouldn't shock me at all. But but those are the seven that I see. You mentioned my Eagles. Uh, I guess I don't have them in the list because I would be crestfallen if that happens. Because I think they would only sign him if they were feeling much worse about Miles Sanders than the team and the beat have led us to, to believe um, in the last week or so. So, yeah, I definitely want to believe that the Eagles are not going to be in play for him. The only thing that has me a little worried is just that Sanders has been banged up lately. Like mm-hmm. otherwise I, I probably would not have even floated them as a name. Um, I guess the the two, the only two I've, I guess the ones I find least plausible, but maybe I shouldn't because they're so unpredictable. The Patriots, just because with Lamar Miller, it seems like they're already going to have to let someone go of Sony Michelle Miller, James, and they're not letting James White go. Um, you know, Burkhead, who they're going to keep for special teams. So it seems like either, you know, Miller or uh, Sony could could possibly be a, a unexpected release there. Maybe not so unexpected with Miller. Um, you know, Washington, just because it seems like they're pretty happy with what they have in Antonio Gibson and can sort of, you know, hold down the fort on early downs with uh, Peterson and Barber and, uh, you know, maybe work Bryce Love into the mix. Definitely, I would have to say Chicago would be the favorite with the Montgomery situation. And I mean, they really have to be alarmed that, you know, Ryan Nall is is next in line. Uh so that's a, an issue. Um, Rams is really interesting as a possible landing spot, just because we have seen less need address holes in the lineup before with free agents quite a bit. I mean, patching up the offensive line with Andrew Whitworth, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they have had deficiencies at cornerback, they've you know signed a series of uh, signed or traded for top guys in the past. The latest being Jalen Ramsey, of course. Um, so yeah, if they're not that thrilled, I mean, that would just kill all the Cam Akers stands and there are a lot of them, uh, but I could see that happening. Um, yeah, dolphins wouldn't be shocking. Uh, and who else did we talk about here, Jason? There was one other, I mentioned uh, the Bengals are probably the other controversial one. And that's simply, uh, bringing up to people. I think we've all, and I think we're going to talk about this in a bit. Mixon is is a consensus late first round running back. He's obviously earned that through his play. He wants a new deal. He's been sitting out of practice the last few days with quote unquote migraines. Um, so I I think the Bengals are very unlikely to sign him, uh, assuming all is well. If they do sign him, I think we then need to understand that we've all been overdrafting Joe Mixon very much. So definitely, um, one last angle we should probably 
take on this. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this. Does this improve or, um, I don't know, make you any more eager to get LaVisca Chenault since he was such a jack of all trades at the University of Colorado, occasionally lined up in the backfield, um, and, you know, it's just this big body receiver, like 227 pounds. Uh, I don't know if that's their first option to help fill in uh, at running back, but it is one option. I mean, they mm-hmm. give him some snaps at running back. So, um, right. you know, either way, he's kind of a, this short area receiver. And so if they, you know, want to expand the short passing game as a, a sort of extension of the running game. It, it's it's a creative thought. I I, I don't ascribe a lot of uh, likelihood to it just because um, Chenault has, has looked great up until getting banged up again. But uh, early in camp, he looked great. He looked like a real steal for them. Runs a really crisp route tree. Strong hands. Very good at the point of attack. So I think they really thought they found their long-term answer to DJ Shark opposite him and, and had a great one-two tandem. Uh, the, the problem with Chenault, is, as you mentioned, is that for as explosive as he was in multiple ways at Colorado, he is one of those guys that seemingly, when he gets even a mild uh, issue in terms of an injury, he disappears uh, and, and misses the, whatever the timetable is for his return. It's usually at the max. And that, that may prove to be unfair as his NFL career unfolds, but um, I think it is very much fair to – he was discounted on, on in the real NFL draft as a result of his injury history. And again, he's already banged up in camp. So um, similarly to, to Armstead, I, I, I own Chenault in a lot of best ball where you don't have to worry about which weeks he's going to provide you value. But in redraft leagues, I, I'm reluctant. I'm, I'm of the camp that you, you don't spend a lot of draft capital on bad football teams. And I'll say it probably for the third time on the show already. I think Jacksonville is a very, very bad football team this year. And uh, I think Shark showed us last year that he is so good, um, even with bad supporting cast, that you, you can't completely discount him. I think he's where he's being drafted is totally fair and reasonable. But beyond that, I, I want as few pieces of the Jacksonville Jaguars this year as possible. Yeah, that's very fair. And I think Shark is the one pillar on this team, the, the one you know fairly bankable fantasy asset. And beyond that, it is very murky indeed. Uh, well, Jason, a lot of people are drafting this week. And judging by some of the questions people have lobbed at me on Twitter over the weekend, a lot of fantasy managers have questions about the RB1 pecking order, should we say? Sure on their minds. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's start at the top. Assuming that Christian McCaffrey is your 101, how do you order the next three guys, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Alvin Kamara, or maybe Dalvin Cook is in the top four? Uh, sure, in that order. And uh, I think you almost get your fantasy sports writers association card revoked this year if you don't have Christian McCaffrey number one, it seems. Um, and I have him number one as well, both in in standard leagues and and PPR formats. Yeah, how could you not? He was so far and away better than everyone else last year that it's uh, it it just even if you presume uh, a meaningful amount of regression on on any facet of his game under a new coach and a new system, it's just hard not to think that he's the safest play at one if he's healthy. Um, could I could I give you a game script or could I give you tell you a story where he's not the number one back? Sure, I think we could all do that. But yes, he is my number one. Um, and then you, I think you said it in order. I, I have Barkley number two, although he and Ezekiel Elliott are extremely tightly bunched from a projection standpoint for me. 
uh, I think they're both as safe as 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 such a thing exists. It's no NFL running back is ever safe, but but I'm I'm comfortable going in that order. And then Alvin Kamara is an interesting one. If you had asked me this question two months ago, I actually wouldn't have had Kamara as my fourth running back. Um, but I will tell you that that has changed. And probably two weeks ago, once camp got underway. I began inching him back up to, I guess, what is consensus. And he now stands as my fourth running back. And that's mainly because I was worried about, given his size and the way he played banged up last year, I just wanted to make sure he was healthy and right. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, been a, he's been a fixture at practice. Um, I'm not even sure he's missed a practice. If he has, excuse me, Saints fans, I, I, missed, I missed the news there. But my point is he has been active throughout, throughout camp, including padded practices. And that's all I really needed to see because we know if he's healthy, um, he's, he's elite, uh, really in any format, but certainly in PPR leagues, he's, he's, he deserves to be considered a, a, a top five pick in, 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 in those leagues as well. So yeah, I have them CMC, Barkley, Zeke and Kamara, uh, in that order. I think it is pretty understandable though, that some of the people who had Kamara on their rosters last year are going to be a little bit gun shy because y- you go through a stretch where a top player has a drought of any significant length. Uh, I think Keenan Allen, uh, people who had him on their teams last year would know what I'm talking about because there was a long stretch where Allen was very uh, disappointing for people. Uh, Camara was certainly that way. I guess the thing I like about him is that, you know, he's obviously got this silly streak where he's had 81 receptions in all three of his NFL seasons. But to do it last year when he actually missed time and was clearly playing hurt for part of the time at least, um, you know, it just – that – involvement in the passing game is just so built in there and it's still such a good offense, such a good offensive line. Um, you know, I think the, the floor is seemingly pretty safe as long as he can stay reasonably healthy. Um, and it's kind of interesting. I know Barkley's got a real tough schedule out of the gate. I think Pittsburgh in week one, uh, the 49ers in week three. So he's going to be sailing upwind for, you know, a couple of these weeks early on, but he's just such a special talent you'd like to think he can put up, you know, double digit fantasy points, even with these tougher matchups. But, uh, you know, I think that's why maybe some people are at least considering Zeke at number two. Um, well, let's talk about your level of trust with some of the other first round or early second round running backs. And I think one way to recognize a trust fault line, if you will, is where you stick Michael Thomas in your overall rankings. Like where in the first round would you draft Thomas in a PPR league. Right. Sure. Uh, yeah, no. And, and I think you, you framed it exactly right. I have Michael Thomas fifth overall in our PPR rankings. And, um, I guess a little more controversially, I have Devonte Adams number six, uh, and then Derek Henry. So I'm, then I'm back to the running backs. So that's the answer. Uh, after Kamara, I would gladly take Michael Thomas. And in fact, uh, I know most people don't care about our own personal leagues, but um, I'm in a tr- trillion of them. I'm sure you are. Well, my one of the leagues I view most importantly. I have the sixth pick on Thursday, and I'm very much expecting, hoping that uh, that Michael Thomas is there, um, because I also assume that in most cases Dalvin Cook will go in the top five in most leagues, and I wouldn't take him there. But yeah, that's quite a shelf for you after that top four. There's definitely sort of a trust drop off, and all these other guys have warts of some sort. It's a combination of a couple things. Um, so, so first of all, I'll, I'll I'll make the point that Derrick Henry is is seventh on my list, um, and, and that's because, as we know, he he just doesn't do much in the as a receiver, so that does affect his value in PPR. Um, although 
like with every player this preseason, he's working on his receiving game, quote unquote, and he's going to be more involved, quote unquote. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I, I still very much like him, but I have to, I can't pass up Michael Thomas and what's seemingly in a healthy season is a floor of 125 receptions that that's hard to pass up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty big floor, but, but the other reason that it shakes out that way, Pat, is that as I alluded, I'm, I'm not, I'm well out of consensus with Dalvin cook. Um, I have him 22nd overall, uh, which again is, is my view, uh, just to be clear, our site has, has a consensus ranking and he's much higher in that, but that's just my personal feeling. Um, and as a result, um, I have a few other backs that I like very much that are more than, than consensus. For example, I, I have Aaron Jones 10th overall. Um, so the reason I mention that is because the way it shakes out for me is I can and will take Thomas or Adams in the middle of the first round, knowing that a player like an Aaron Jones is going to be there for me in the second round that I personally think is close to as valuable as the running back that most people would reach for there. So nice. Uh, interesting how you feel about cook. What are your main hangups with him? It's a combination of things. Um, I, I understand how good he was last year. Look, he was number two on a per game basis behind McCaffrey. Uh, so I can't take away that when he's on the field, he's exceptional. Um, but that said, he, he is also disgruntled about his contract. As you know, he, he and the team broke off talks last week because they weren't getting anywhere. Um, I don't expect that he's going to decide not to play in week one, but I do think in a year, which is likely going to be highly volatile, we have no idea what's going to happen in terms of, of the COVID-19 situations. I suspect players and teams will be more apt to, uh, treat even mild injuries more seriously. Um, I think if, People get banged up and things aren't going well. They may opt to sit out a little longer or, or call it a season. So I'm nervous about the contract situation. And then for me, while Cook absolutely looked great last year, I can't lose sight of the fact that the guy has a torn ACL in his history and more importantly, not one, not two, but three season-ending shoulder injuries dating back to high school. Um, <laughs> as, as someone who who just likely lost a key piece of his team's offense with the Eagles, to a shoulder injury. I, I just don't believe that I don't feel comfortable building my fantasy team around a, a person who I think has a, a, is one bad hit away from, from being done for the year. Um, and I know people can say that's true of every running back, but I'll just say it again, torn ACL and three season ending shoulder injuries. That's just not the kind of resume I want to bank on in the first round. I think everyone, while most people would agree, there's an elevated level of injury risk there. Different people are going to uh, differ on the degrees, but that is fair. And, and it's very interesting that, you know, this, the combination of the contractual impasse they had earlier and COVID and the ability to opt out of a season, how those could possibly work in tandem, I guess, and, uh, you know, elevate the risk level there. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, where are you on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Which I basically have to ask every guest on the show. I'm contractually obligated. <laughs> nice. I'm glad I was help, um, I'm able to help get your bonus. Uh, I I I I guess it's weird, Pat, because I, I like him a lot. I feel like I'm high on him, but then uh, I think people see me as not high on him. I, I have him at at ninth at running back, um, so RB nine in PPR formats, and I have him thirteenth overall. So I, I would be absolutely fine if I was picking at the end of the first round with taking him as at the turn or even taking him 11th and grabbing a receiver at, at 14. I, I, so 
I feel like I like him a lot, but I guess because the momentum has just not stopped since Damian Williams opted out of the season, it's likely that even having him as my ninth running back means that I'm telling you, the listener, not to draft him, I guess, because in effect, um, you're going to have to take him before nine running backs are off the board if you want him. So that's kind of where I stand. I mean, if, if I'm picking eighth or ninth, I'm not drafting him. Um, but not because I wouldn't be happy to have him. And if I'm picking 11th, I'm very likely drafting him if he's there. So it's, it's you know how it is, Pat, with these, we as an industry and and, and our, our our subscriber base and our fan base, we obsess about those first two or three rounds so much. And and ultimately, it, it really, whether we're quote unquote right about Allaire being 7th or 9th or 11th or not, is, is really going to come down more to does he play all 16 games? Do the people we have ahead or behind him play all 16 games? Are his teams forced into in or out of contention relative to expectations? Right. I mean, so, so to me, it's like, I like him very much. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mock a good friend if he sent me his draft. How did I do Woodrow? And he picked Edwards Lair seventh overall. I'm not going to mock him for that. But yes, for me, it seems as though I have seven drafts in the next seven days. I'm probably not going to end up with him simply because I think at this point, at least one person in every league is going to be willing to take him sixth or seventh. Is that how you feel too? Or I don't know where you are with him. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same. I I think um, people tend to overvalue situation and maybe not value talent enough. And obviously we can be very precise in ascertaining the situation here. It's excellent with the chiefs, with Damian Williams opting out, um, you know, the, the runway is clear there, but the talent, we have a guy who, had one great season in college, wasn't really a factor as a freshman or sophomore. Uh, the measurable, he's small and not especially fast by NFL standards. Um, and that one great season was in quite possibly the best offense in college football history. Right, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's why I think it's hard to pin down what the talent level is. And, you know, whether there's any chance that, you know, this could possibly wind up going to committee with Daryl Williams and DeAndre Washington. Uh, So I do have some slight reservations there. I think I do have him maybe eighth or ninth overall right now, which um, in some ways, I mean, yeah, I think that's actually conservative relative to where some other people are. But, um, you know, maybe it's not even conservative enough. I've been really conflicted on this. And uh, the nice thing is that in my own leagues, I think the decision's going to be taken out of my hands. I don't think he's like exactly, eight right. or nine in any draft. And that's the crazy thing. I think like 90% of people would draft him ahead of Devonte Adams. And maybe I'm in that 90%, but I le- at least have the debate in my head about it. So yeah, uh, I, I think your caution is totally warranted. And, uh, right. And, and it, it's just funny because, again, like we're talking about it and, and you even said my caution. I, I don't view it as like I don't view myself as particularly cautious about him. Like I, I do think he will be the Chiefs primary ball carrier. He will be heavily involved as a receiver. Uh, I think we've known, as you know, as I, I'm an Eagles season ticket holder, so I'm very familiar with Andy's coaching tenure. He has a long history of 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 fantasy stardom with a running back once he trusts them. From Brian Westbrook to LaShawn McCoy to, I mean, we, you know, you know the names. So I, I think it's very much possible that he is a top 10 fantasy running back this year. But it is funny, as you said, even you view it as cautious because I'm not telling people, if you have the sixth pick, you need to pick the guy, right? I just, and, and, you know, when the season, I, I'm sure you do the same. At the end of the year, 
after I've come up for air after a week or two after the Super Bowl, I always look back at my projections and do a self-assessment, try and see if there's anything that I uh, can learn and, and, and iterate for the next year. And if Edwards Lair is a top five running back, I'm not going to view my rating him as ninth as problematic because, again, he will be a top five running back. The, the delta between being a top five running back and the ninth best running back once we get through a 16-game season is de minimis. It's, it's a matter of circumstance and health versus improperly evaluating the talent, if that makes sense. Great point. And he does have top three upside. We have to acknowledge Absolutely. that. But, Absolutely. But yes. You're not going to be, uh, you're not going to feel like an idiot if you don't take him at running back six and he cashes in on that. I mean, it's, you're, you're paying a pretty elevated price to go for that, to angle for that upside this year. So people should know that and go into uh, drafts with their eyes wide open if they're considering him in the mid first round. Uh, all right, Jason, you, you sort of alluded to the risk with Joe Mixon. Uh, you mentioned that you're hoping Miles Sanders is, you know, viewed as the clear number one and that Fournette's not in play in Philly. So obviously you're feeling good about Sanders. Uh, and, you know, obviously you're high on Aaron Jones if you've got him 10th overall. Of some of these other backs, uh, I'll just throw out the names. Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, Austin Eckler. Uh, which of these guys have you been drafting? Which have you been avoiding? It, it may not be exciting or sexy to say I like them all. I, I don't have a particular issue with any of them at or near where they seem to be coming off the board. Um, I, I, I think there's a re- I, I think it's logical to have them be the next group. Uh, put it that way. Uh, in terms of who I end up with, well, clearly at top of that list for me is Aaron Jones because, as you alluded, I, I have him tenth overall. Um, he was third last year and I know everybody is concerned that he scored 19 touchdowns and clearly that number is very likely to come way down, but he caught over 40 passes. The Packers really haven't changed the dynamic of their, uh, passing game situation very much. They're still struggling to even identify a number two receiver. So, um, I think the only reason that you get scared off of Aaron Jones this year, and I guess why he's got such a low consensus ranking is that People assume, yes, the touchdowns come down. And then also, once Devontae Adams returned to the lineup, Jones was, was, was his role in the rece- as a receiver fell dramatically. So if both of those things happen, I agree, chances are it's going to be a struggle for him to deliver on that top 10 value. But I can get him in the second round of every draft, and I'm happy to do so. So he's the one I end up with the most. Um, but of the others that you mentioned, I'd say um, I haven't audited all of my drafts so far, but I would say probably Nick Chubb is next because... I feel as though he gets discounted, even though he ran for 1,500 yards last year. He gets discounted because uh, of Kareem Hunt's presence and the fact that I think Chubb was, and I don't have the numbers handy, so excuse me, but I think Chubb was a clear top five running back in all formats before Hunt's suspension and then after he was uh, something like running back 13 or 14 for the second half of the season. And admittedly, do you want to draft someone as the eighth running back if he's going to give you RB15 value? It's a fair counterpoint. But I just think that with the new with the new coaching staff, uh, I believe they're much more likely to give Chubb the every down three down role. And I, I think if anything, I think Hunt's draftees will be disappointed at least in the early season because I think will be a, he'll be a more traditional backup uh, to start the year. Now that said, Kareem Hunt absolutely could be an every week top five start if something happens to Chubb. So I'm not saying ignore Kareem Hunt. But so those are the two that I seem to like, but I honestly don't have an issue with the other guys um, either. And I've, I've, I've ended up with 
with with all of them in some combination in drafts, depending on where my draft spot is in in, in the you know in the round, if I'm, depending on where I'm drafting. Good, we're on the same page with that. And uh, going back to what I said earlier, talent tends to be underrated, situation overrated with these running backs, and uh, that's the case with Chubb, I think for sure. I mean, a pure runner alone, I think he's absolutely top five, maybe top three in the NFL. Um, you know, yes, the hunt thing is just driving down the price. And uh, if I could get Chubb at the end of the first round, even in a PPR league, I think I'd be pretty happy with that since he's not a complete zero in the passing game. Um, all right, Jason, you mentioned you're a longtime Eagles fan and season ticket holder. How worried are you about the offensive line now? You sort of uh, danced around it without saying his name, but they lost Andre Dillard for the year. Uh, this was going to be his second year in the league. Didn't really play that much last year, but he was penciled in as their left tackle and pass protection is supposed to be his thing. Then they've got Lane Johnson, who's been banged up for the last week. Plus, Jason Peters is in the twilight of his career. Are you downgrading Eagles overall for fantasy because of the O-line situation? Well, Pat, I try very, very hard uh, as an analyst to provide fantasy advice to separate my personal feelings as a fan from my analysis. And I think generally speaking, I do a good job with that. But right now in on August 31st at <laughs> midday, I am apoplectic about the Eagles situation. <laughs> I, I am very, very frustrated and dejected and I hope overreacting to the downside. Um, I think you know Warren Sharp. Uh, Warren does a great football almanac each year with just chock full of interesting observations. And he noted that the Eagles have been the most injured team. And the way he defines it is um, snaps missed uh, of projected starters, right? So that, that's how he, he, he tallies the numbers. But Sharp said that the Eagles were far and away the most injured team in 2018 and were again the most injured team, albeit not by as wide a margin, last year. And we're starting off the same way. So, yes, as you mentioned, Andre Dillard is out for the season. Brandon Brooks, who you didn't mention, but he is arguably arguably the best guard in football, but certainly he's an all-pro. He's one of the five or six best guards in football. He, he was lost for the year earlier in the season, preseason, which brought – J- um, Jason Peters out of retirement, not to play left tackle, but to move inside to right guard. Um, so I- I'm not concerned about Lane Johnson, and that's wishful thinking on my part because he's generally the kind of guy that that come hell or high water, he'll be out there uh, when the games count if he if he can. Um, but sure, how can you not be how can you not be worried? Uh, the the Carson Wentz is day to day with a, a mild injury. They're downplaying the significance of that, but given his injury history. We can both agree that we need a great offensive line to keep him upright. And I don't think even the most optimistic Eagles analysts could tell you that the projected starting lineup in week one for the offensive line would be considered great. Um, there are still questions. We don't know if uh, the last few days Matt Pryor has been lined up at left tackle. They've kept Jason Peters in at right guard. One, because I think he still needs to learn that position. Two, uh, Peters, through his agent, said earlier uh, in the week, or actually over the weekend, that if you want me to move back to left tackle, you need to pay me like a left tackle because he resigned for a very small amount of money to play guard. Um, I'm not sure if the Eagles can do that, want to do that. We'll see. Um, I think when the dust settles, Jason Peters will be left at ta- the playing left tackle for the Eagles until he can hold up. But like you said, he's 38 years old. Uh, he retired because he had been walking wounded. He played with a torn tricep last year. So yeah, I think it's a problem. It's a problem because. Um, we also have a, a 
a rookie named Jack Driscoll, who's been worked into the rotation uh, by necessity. Uh, there's a guy named Nate Herbig, who was actually an undrafted free agent last year, who was going to be Jason Kelsey's backup at center, but could be pushed into play. So it is it is a problem for sure. Um, Jordan Maialata is a, a feel-good story, former rugby player that the, that the Australian rules football player, rather, that the team drafted two years ago in the seventh round and is built like a professional wrestler and everybody loves him. Very, very jovial guy to be around. But at the end of the day, he's extremely raw, didn't play college football. So uh, I, I very much am worried, as you can hear in my voice. And I think that although I haven't materially downgraded Wentz and Sanders and the like, I, I, I understand if people are drafting in the next few days, the reticence and knocking them down a half a round or a round or two, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't view that as an illogical conclusion. Uh, but I admittedly haven't done that yet myself. Yeah, that's kind of where it is for me. I had uh, so I think I've got Wentz at QB nine, and I've been sort of debating all off season between uh, Matt Ryan and, and Wentz, and then there's sort of a drop off to ten. Mm-hmm. So I had Wentz at nine anyway. But whereas I I thought it was kind of a coin flip between. Wentz and Ryan before. Now I think I would definitely go with Ryan because of the uh, Eagles offensive line problems. And, and man, they have gotten hit. I totally forgot about Brooks. Uh, you know, that that offensive line had it been completely healthy would have been among the league's best. And now, you know, they're one more injury away from just a, a scary situation. Uh, a couple questions for you about the Eagles tight ends, Jason. Uh, do you have Zach Ertz ahead of or behind Mark Andrews? And then uh, where do you rank Goddard right now? Uh, sure. So one thing on uh, just well, – I have to look, look up where I have those guys, so give me a second. But um, I will say relative to um, Wentz versus Ryan, I've had a similar debate and can't fault you for for swapping them. I, I haven't done that yet myself, but I, I think that is probably the – the, the key decision point for people drafting this week is, is, is whether or not to swap those guys. Okay. So in uh, yes, in, in both formats in PPR and standard, I just wanted to double check on standard. I have Ertz slightly ahead of Andrews. Um, and that's not an admonition against Andrews. Um, I, I think it's strange. I have Andrews at tight end four, but I, uh, I, I actually am increasingly worried that we all may be a bit too optimistic with Andrews this year. Um, because of the double digit touchdowns last year, if, if you, if you, if you normalize the touchdowns, Andrews was not an elite tight end last year from a target share perspective, from a total targets perspective, uh, from a routes runner air yards perspective, he was a good, good player, but he wasn't elite. And yet we're essentially putting him in as the guy you want to take. If you aren't fortunate enough to get Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, um, and, and admittedly, I have him fourth right now, but I'm I'm leaning towards knocking him down a bit more, just because I can see a way where, where we're disappointed in that. So um, Ertz is safe, particularly in PPR formats, especially now with with Jalen Rager uh, to miss regular season games and Alshon Jeffrey on the pup. So I think Ertz is very very safe. You've never drafted Ertz expecting a lot of touchdowns, so I like to draft players where you're comfortable with their floor, assuming a low number of touchdowns because. Every every now and then, a player like that will have one of those outlier years where they actually have a lot of touchdowns, and then you've 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 got yourself a league winner. So I'm fine with Ertz at my, as my third tight end, but but gun to my head, I'd probably lean towards Darren Waller over Mark Andrews if I drafted tonight. Yeah, interesting. And uh, 
on one hand, it's kind of amazing that Andrews was able to do what he did despite playing, I believe, fewer than half of the offensive snaps. Yeah, 45% of snaps, I think. Yeah, Yeah, which is just crazy. And sure, maybe that ticks up a little bit now that Hunter Hurst isn't around anymore. But at the same time, um, the touchdown stat just completely inflated. That's bound to crash. And uh, I do think people should at least bear in mind that – Mark Andrews is a type one diabetic, uh, COVID reportedly, I think it's the American Diabetes Association has said that, you know, you are at risk of greater complications for right, right. COVID than the average American for having that condition. And, uh, though Mark Andrews said that opting out was never a consideration for him, uh, you never know what's going to happen if, if COVID might start sweeping through other NFL locker rooms. So just something to keep in the back of your mind if you're drafting this week. Um, and then you mentioned, sorry, you mentioned also what I thought of Goddard. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Goddard. Uh, unfortunately he, he lost the draft lottery, right? In that he was a terrific prospect and he just happened to be drafted by a team that already had a pro bowl tight end in his prime. So if Goddard had been drafted by a tight end needy team, he could well be a top five option by now. Um, having rounded into the mature phase of his, of his career, uh, at the end of the day, uh, with the Eagles receiving group getting banged up again, I think what happened last year should be our baseline expectation for how the season starts in Philly. A lot of 12 personnel. They'll both be on the field quite a bit. Uh, our depth at the position is is pretty much decimated. Uh, Josh Perkins, who was likely to be the third tight end, is is done for the year. Um, we have a, a, a rookie uh, named Noah, uh, Noah Tagai, who... Uh, probably makes the team now as the third, but I, I, I don't think there's they're going to let him on the field very often in place of Goddard. So his his snap count is safe. And we saw last year that even playing second fiddle to Ertz, he can be fantasy relevant in deeper leagues. But, you know, Pat, it's just for me, again, it's kind of taking a step back from the analysis and thinking, how many leagues have a deep enough roster pool, especially in a year where we're going to have to probably be rotating our bench picks more often because of injury and COVID, um, how many leagues can you justify drafting a tight end that you know is a handcuff, right? Like Dallas Goddard would be a absolute, I can't believe I have him on my roster. This is awesome if Zach Ertz gets hurt. But but can you really just sit around hoping that the game script for Philly is such that the second tight end in snaps and targets will be someone that helps you win your, your weekly matchup? It, it's just tough for me to do that mental gymnastics Um even though I do accept that that if things go according to script by the end of the year, his full season numbers could look something like a top 12 tight end. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And it makes a lot of sense. He might be the sort of luxury you can't afford in this COVID year with the expectation of, of people missing games for that and the elevated injury rate we're likely to see without a traditional training camp at preseason. Um all right, Jason, when it rains, it pours. I, I have to mention the Jalen Rager <laughs> injury, too. Uh, you know, this guy who everyone is raving about in camp, their first-round wide receiver, and uh, hurts his shoulder. So I guess how are you handling this? How enthusiastic were you before? And how much air does the shoulder thing take out of the balloon? And, I mean, now, what does this do for your view of other receivers? It was pretty murky before. Is there any other Eagles receiver you'd roster? Right. When it rains, it pours, Pat. Um, So I I was very happy about the pick as a fan. And there's nothing throughout training camp. Admittedly, we have a a, a much cloudier window to look through when it comes to how 
camps are going this year. Um, but that being said, based on the reports we were getting out of camp from the few beat writers that are allowed in, uh, I saw and heard nothing to make me think he wasn't doing what he needed to do to clearly emerge as the Eagles number one target on the outside at wide receiver. Uh, I think there's no question he would have been the week one starter opposite uh, Djax for sure. And I think for fantasy purposes, I love that his ADP hadn't gotten overinflated. And so I was, I, I had no issues with anyone drafting him as their fourth or fifth receiver, because I think there was certainly top 30 upside, although I didn't rank him in the top 30. Um, he's hurt his shoulder. As you said, we haven't gotten any kind of formal declaration beyond that. It should be about four weeks because uh, of the dislocation. Uh, our football guys, injury expert, Dr. Gene Brammel confirmed that depending on the magnitude and every, every one of these dislocations is different. He could be back on the field within four weeks, but as with many of these things, it's about the stability of the, of the joint and it wouldn't be the first time someone comes back according to schedule and then gets lands awkwardly or gets hit again and is out for more time. So I, I do think it greatly raises the risk of drafting him as someone that you're counting on in lineups. Uh, in terms of what happens from here, again, it's kind of back to the way it was last year, unfortunately, where Alshon Jeffrey is on the pup list and in the team's doghouse. There are some reports over the last 48 hours that say he could be activated and back on the field by the end of September. But even if that's true, fantasy owners shouldn't be drafting him under those premise because let's wait and see if he gets back on the field, how he looks, and then he'll be a waiver wire pickup. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, we saw last year in his return to Philly that first week, it looked like if you drafted him at the end of your draft, you had a league winner because he hooked up with Wentz for two deep touchdowns and 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 blew the top off the defense, even at his, his age. Uh, he's back in the exact same position. He has been phenomenal through camp. He's healthy, and I expect... Now with Rager out of the picture, he will be Wentz's favorite target uh, for as long as he's healthy enough to play. So I think you can safely have Deshaun Jackson in your in your week one lineups uh, and expect good things from him. It's just a question of can you count on him for a full season, and uh, that remains to be seen. But but most of us right now are worried about winning week one, and I think he definitely is someone that should be in your top 25 to 30 week one rankings. Again, not season long, but week one. Uh, beyond that, it's tough. I think Greg Ward... After the NFL draft, Greg Ward was, I think, possibly not going to make the team, <laughs> right? Uh, because we drafted three receivers. We signed a few others. Uh, be, the way things have fallen, though, I think that Greg Ward not only makes the team, but probably is uh, a starter as uh, probably in the slot, but but starts the, the season in the same way he left off. And then on the outside, it's your guess is as good as mine, Pat. You tell me. I've heard... John Hightower, another rookie, may get the nod now. I've heard that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside has finally put it all together and will get one more chance to earn his keep. Um, neither of those things would surprise me, but I don't think either are worth drafting in a 12-team uh, a redraft league. Right. You would have to be pretty deep to be interested in uh, Ortega-Whiteside or Hightower or uh, Quez Watkins or uh, any of the other players. But Deshaun Jackson certainly does become more interesting now. And uh, I, I definitely am overdue to bump him up in my rankings a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he gets the Washington football team in week one. Um, so so that's I, presuming, of course, that Carson Wentz truly is fine um, from this lower, quote unquote, lower body injury. I, I, I think Jackson is a great play in, 
in in DFS lineups and 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 certainly if you have him on your roster. But but uh, but don't. I guess what I'm trying to say is if you have him on your roster or you get him for a fair price, by all means, he could be a very viable person as your third receiver in lineups in week one. But don't don't because of Rager's injury raise Djax's overall. If you haven't drafted, don't move him up into a top 25 receiver. Don't draft him that way. Uh, Jason, one off-topic thing I wanted to hit on with you. I know you are a comics aficionado, and that's been a passion of yours for a long time. You collect comic book art. You have a podcast. Uh, We got very surprising and sad news over the weekend that actor Chadwick Boseman died of colon cancer at age 43. And among his credits, Boseman starred in The Black Panther and played The Black Panther uh, in a number of other films. My family and I finally got around to watching Black Panther last night, and now I feel stupid for not having watched it sooner because it was just a wonderful movie, just a terrific piece of art, and he was great in it. I just want to get your perspective as a comics connoisseur on what Bozeman brought to that very iconic character. Sure. Yeah, very sad. Um, as you said, he's 43. I'm 46 years old, so a contemporary of sorts, and I think you're roughly the same age as well, Pat. I think you can say that we're at that point in our lives where while any loss of life is tragic and heartbreaking, I think when when a peer from an age perspective starts to pass away, it, it, it stings more, if that makes sense. Yes, um, it does. And, and, and I've been overwhelmed in the last few days since he passed at some of the realizations in that he, he's been battling this, or he had, rather, I'm sorry, he had been battling this for four years. And that means that he was in the midst of battling for his very life throughout all of the press junkets for Black Panther and for the Avengers and a number of other films that he did uh, over that span, all the award shows, all the press. And never once did he not have a smile on his face. Did he not say positive things about the film or his coworkers or the role? Did he not tirelessly fight for uh, racial equality. And so I just think it's, it's just talk about a tremendous example of the kind of human we should all aspire to be. Um, now as to the, as, as to his role as T'Challa, I, I mean, it, it was pitch perfect. I, you're right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm as passionate, if not more passionate about comic books and comic book art as I am about fantasy football to put some perspective behind it. And Black Panther's always been one of my favorite characters. I have probably 40 to 50 pieces of Black Panther comic art in my gallery. Um, So he's a huge, so to see him, his first appearance in the Captain America film was jaw dropping. It was exciting. Um, But then the film, the Black Panther, the film, as you just mentioned watching last night, I mean, that was a magical experience on a lot of levels. Um, Again, I'm, I'm a, I'm a white guy. So, you know, but, but that being said, it wasn't lost on me that, to, to see a an entire blockbuster film populated by people of color um, in all the lead roles uh, was was a, was a sight to behold and, and I think meant a lot to a lot of people. Uh, so you know it's 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 a terrible terrible thing and and I think the one thing try and always take away a positive from a tragedy. Um, he was thirty nine when he was diagnosed with colon cancer and the standard for most American men is that we should get screened between 45 and 50 years old. Um, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not telling you not to follow your doctor's advice, but I do think it does illustrate that, um, you know, that's a standard of care, but, but if your family history, um, or if you have any kind of symptoms that relate to intestinal issues, by all means, you can very much get, uh, screened for, 
uh, for, for, for those kind of gastrointestinal issues before you're 45. I mean, I'm 46 and, and I haven't had um, a screening and, and, and this has kind of vaulted that into making it a priority for me. So, um, so by, by all means, I think hopefully we just remember that, that, uh, and when we look back on him and his career, just the grace with which he showed, uh, as a human being, I, I, I certainly don't think I would have had the capacity to be that kind of person to so many other people knowing that I was dying or at least fighting a very tough fight. So, um, my, my, my hat's off to him. Um, as an actor and a human being, but also um, forever, I think, beautifully captivating um, a terrific character. Yeah, well said. And the strength that must have taken to endure that in the last years of his life and, and you know, to just not give any indication of, of how dire the circumstances were. Um, he was also great as James Brown in Get On Up, as Jackie Robinson in 42. So uh, well worth checking out all those movies. All right, Jason, I know our time is running short. Uh, let me give you a few questions. Maybe you can take as rapid fire as you'd like. Um, you tweeted something a few days ago about analysts occasionally taking the late round quarterback vice to advice to extremes. And I guess I'm curious how far you would go down the quarterback list before you run out of guys you'd feel comfortable with as your QB one in a single quarterback league. You're right. Yes. Um, you're right. It's a long, we could have an hour long discussion on that. Um, actually my impetus for my tweet was because a good friend and I won't put them on blast because they're very, very smart said something akin to I'm fine. If I come away with Gardner Minshew and Teddy Bridgewater in my draft, I'm all set. And I just thought that's absurd, like patently absurd and indefensible. But that being said, for me, the answer to your question, cause we're doing rapid fire here is, is my, 16th ranked quarterback, who is Big Ben Roethlisberger. Um, he he is the last one I'm looking at here that I would feel um, reasonably good that I, I've got someone who could give me top 10 numbers uh, under uh, optimal conditions. Interesting. Yeah, he'd be the firewall for me, and I think I have him QB 17. So we're on about okay, the uh, same wavelength there. I know you love TJ Hawkinson, so how downcast <laughs> were you upon getting the reports that he's still not fully over his ankle injury? <laughs> and you know what's a reasonable position amongst tight ends to take him? Right. Uh, the beauty of of this strange preseason, where all we have are little blurbs from from teams and beat writers, and then we all see them at the same time and, and on Twitter, and then react to them. For about three hours, when that news broke that Hawkinson said he wasn't a hundred percent, I was distraught <laughs> because let's say there are three players I've planted my flag on this year. He was one of them, as you know. And I thought, well, this really stinks because I've been drafting him everywhere and telling everyone else to draft him everywhere. But by the next day, I felt fine because he clarified on those points the next day and said he, he doesn't feel 100%, but he certainly feels well enough to play at full speed. Uh, the next two days in practice reports, he dominated. He put on a clinic uh, in goal line drills in 11-11. So he's, he's, it's not like they're treating with kid gloves in practice or keeping him on the side. He's full bore, full padded practices. And that's really how I care about when I hear about injuries is, are you practicing? Are you practicing with the big boys in the pads? And he is. Um, and I still think he is without question, the best value pick at the position. Um, I wrote a long piece on this on football guys that people can find the, the, the details, but I'll, but since it is quick fire, I'll just give you this. Um, Antonio Gates, Kellen Winslow, senior, not junior, George Kittle, Greg Olson, Jason Witten, Jimmy Graham, Ozzie Newsom, Rob Gronkowski, Tony Gonzalez, and Zach Ertz are arguably 10 of the 13 or 14 best tight ends of our lifetimes from an offensive standpoint. Their rookie seasons, they averaged 35 receptions, 423 yards, and three touchdowns. 
That's it. Their second year, that same cohort averaged 76 receptions, 993 yards, and eight touchdowns. My point being, TJ Hawkinson is not just the next guy in line that we thought might be good. TJ Hawkinson, by every college scout that I hold dear, including my good friend Matt Waldman, was a generational talent, the kind of tight end that we only see once every five, 10 years. He can do everything. He's strong. He's an excellent blocker. He's focused. He has great hands. He runs good routes. He loves getting the ball at the point of contact. He is a do-everything-as-close-to-campness prospect as we have seen in years at the position. That's the kind of guy that you don't give up on. On Again, you mentioned earlier, talent versus situation. So when I have a guy that's a generational talent who had to deal with half a season without Matthew Stafford and an injury last year and still put up numbers that were nearly identical to the rookie numbers of the best tight ends to ever play the game, I will take that lottery ticket. Because you can still draft Hawkinson very late as your starter, or if you're in a league deep enough that you take two tight ends, you absolutely can target him as your backup tight end. And I would not be surprised, presuming he's healthy, that at the end of the year, he is a top five tight end. Well, I'm going back in immediately and moving him up in my rankings. And I think I already had him at tight end 10. So that was an impassioned and convincing argument, Jason. Thank you. There we Uh, go. All right. Two last quick ones. I know you are the go-to NFC East guy at football guys. Which of the Cowboys wide receivers are you most interested in buying at current cost? Sure. Um, Again, not to be a little anticlimactic, but I like them all. I I don't have a problem with any of them too. Like I'm not, I'm not put off by any of their current ADPs dramatically. I am least likely to draft Cooper simply because there are a number of other receivers in that top 12 tier that I like a little bit more and tend to be available. But I don't have an issue with Cooper going off where he's going off. I don't think he's overvalued per se. Um, I think this is probably, at least to start the season, going to be a bit frustrating for fantasy owners because I do think we've seen and heard enough about C.D. Lamb in camp to know that he's not going to wait his turn. The kid is too good. He's not going to wait his turn. But it's not as though Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup haven't also been phenomenal in camp and are ready to play. So I know some thought if Lamb was legit, it would just push Gallup down to an afterthought. I don't see that as likely. Gallup was outperforming Amari Cooper last year before he got hurt at the end of the season. Um, And again, he too has had a great camp. So I think the most likely scenario is an embarrassment of riches for Dak Prescott. Even though I'm an Eagles fan, I think anyone that doesn't think the Cowboys are the heavy, heavy favorites to win the NFC East are kidding themselves because they have depth and talent at most key positions. Um, so, so for me, I'm fine drafting any of them where they're going. I think Gallup is going around or two later than he should. So I'm happy taking him. Uh, and then I think CD lamb is, is justifiably rising up the ranks. As long as you can get CD lamb as your wide receiver four or later, you should absolutely do that as well. And I will say again, it's a cliche, but if any of these guys gets hurt, the other two are every week starts period end of story. Um, I don't know if you saw, Pat, but DallasCowboys.com, the team's website, put out a curious piece where their team of beat writers, and they have three or four different beat writers that work for this, the team, put out a composite piece ranking the 10 receivers on the Cowboys 80-man roster, 10 through 1, which I thought was bold, right? I mean, how about being the guy that was number 10, right? You don't feel so good about yourself. But but in any event, we all know how the we, most people don't care about how 10 through 4 went, although 4 was Cedric Wilson. Keep that in mind for deeper leagues. Um, But three was Michael Gallup. Two was Amari Cooper. And the number one receiver by the team's own admission in the preseason has been C.D. Lamb. So 
I think I think you want to have a piece, but I guess I'm being long-winded for a rapid fire round, but I think the takeaway here is the Cowboys are now at a point where you want to own pieces of that offense. Just like you go out and want to target Chiefs, just like you want to take your Miko Hardmans and your Demarcus Robinsons and your Daryl Williams late. Just like with the Rams, you want to take you know the, the the late round guys, at least in prior versions of the Rams. We'll see about this year, but you wanted to take you know your Josh Reynolds or your backup running backs. The the best offense is the Saints, right? You want to take your your Latavius Murray and you want to throw a dart in in fourteen team leagues on a Traquan Smith, even though he's now third. You want pieces that come cheaply of awesome offenses, and I think the Cowboys, without question are the kind of team now where you just want to make sure when you look at your draft board, you have a few pieces from that offense, however you need to get it. Well said. Uh, All right, so let's go out on this. Same question with the Giants. They've got the three receivers with their ADPs pretty closely bunched. So who do you like at cost there? Much different scenario, though, let's be honest, right? I mean, of course. I mean, the, the Giants with Jason Garrett at the helm calling plays, at best, we're thinking a team that could be a top 10 to 12 offense and that's if things go perfectly right so very different scenario you don't need to target giants uh other than saquon but that said um to your question sterling shepherd's my guy um i i think unlike the cowboys situation where i think all three will and need to play i'm not sure the giants will feel compelled to balance the snap counts between sterling shepherd darius slayton and golden tate and because Golden Tate is the savvy aging veteran and can play the slot, I'm going to presume, and we'll see in week one if I'm right, but I'm going to presume that the likely scenario early in the season is that Slayton owners will be um, will be the ones that are disappointed because I, I'm not sure we can just assume, based on what Slayton did last year in the absence of those two other guys, that he's automatically gifted an equivalent role. Um, I, I also wouldn't be shocked if that is how it plays out, but for me... The only one I'm comfortable drafting at their price, because as you said, they kind of all go near each other, is Sterling Shepard. I know he's never done it for a full season, but I don't think, objectively speaking, you can say that he's not the best route runner of the three, has the has the has the best route tree, and has the most explosiveness. So I just think if you're if you feel like you want to have a piece of that, and they're all on the board. Shepard's your guy, uh, but but don't get crazy with expectations. I I don't I don't expect him to put up top fifteen numbers. I'm with you, man. Slayton's been too expensive all year. I mean, the what he did last year was basically a couple of big games, and in those big games, a couple of home run plays. So I'm not sure that the against my Eagles, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, Jason, I know you have to get back to the salt mines of uh, finance. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thanks for coming on, amigo. Hey, thanks so much for for having me on. I always enjoy our chats. It, it kind of signifies to me now that the start of the season that we're making that that switch, we're turning the lever from from preseason prognostication to trying to uh, put together the puzzle of, of of who to start on a weekly basis. So uh, I wish you and your family well as we uh, continue to navigate 2020. And I can't wait to um, chop it up on the Twitters. Oh, same to you and yours, Jason. And uh, hey, before I let you go, I just want to mention that I am a Football Guys subscriber myself, and the volume of fantasy football information that you guys put out every year is just almost unfathomable, and it's high-quality stuff. So first, Jason, can you remind people where they can find you on Twitter? And also, if you wouldn't mind, uh, just tell people why they should sign up for a Football Guys subscription. Sure, absolutely. Thanks again. So so on Twitter, you can find me at FBG, as in Football Guy, FBG Wood. 
Uh, I'm fairly active. It depends on the day because as Pat said, I am a slave to capitalism, but, uh, but when, when time permits, I'm, I'm on there. And if you, if you hit me up or reply or what, or whatever, I'm, I'm generally going to hit you back. So, um, I, I don't have the, I'm not a rock star like Sigmund Bloom that has hundreds of thousands of followers. So you can still actually talk to me. Um, as to the site, yes, it's football guys, plural footballguys.com. Um, why subscribe? Well, listen to me. We are one of the oldest, uh, subscription only sites. Uh, I've been around for 18 years. I think that, um, you know, seeing the industry grow and evolve, we do truly, as you noted, cover uh, every aspect of of the hobby, whether you're into a traditional redraft league and you want advice there, or you're into DFS, or you're into best ball drafting strategy, IDP, uh, really, you name it. We have a vibrant dynasty community. Essentially, uh, our aspiration is to be the go-to source for any niche of the hobby. And I think we we do a credible job in, in in being that site for a very very low price. I I have to say um, sometimes I'm having chats with uh, with with our with our owners and and being the the capitalist pig amongst us. I often point out that uh, uh, quite a quite a few other sites are out there charging quite a bit more per year, and I'm always stunned by that. And they very much uh, pat me on the shoulder and say, Woodrow, it's about value, and as long as we're providing value, it doesn't really matter what other people charge. And they're absolutely right. So I think we're the best value in the business full stop. And uh, I would encourage anyone that wants to know more, just go to footballguys.com. If you're not a subscriber, I believe you'll be immediately directed to a page with a litany of, of free articles and uh, and also um, a much more eloquent uh, explanation from CEO Joe Bryant about why you should subscribe. I totally agree. You guys do serve up uh, an impressive smorgasbord. It is the win buffet, basically, for fantasy football <laughs> managers. And uh, the price is more like uh, something you would find at a downtown Vegas hotel buffet. So uh, you're the man, Jason. Thanks again, buddy. And we'll talk soon. Sounds good. I'll, I'll speak to you soon. All right, folks, that's the show. But before we call it quits for the week, I want to mention that I am once again offering a Patreon service this season for all my guests. For $5 a month, you get the Waiver Whisperer package, which includes a weekly Waiver Wire email with my waiver rankings at each position, along with a bonus weekly rankings podcast filled with start sit advice. And for $20 a month, you get the weekly Waiver email, the exclusive rankings podcast, and the full fantasy consigliere service, which means you can ask me about anything at any time, draft advice, trade advice personalized waiver advice, lineup advice, and I will give you a prompt, thorough, and very detailed reply with my thoughts on your specific situation. I'm not going to be able to answer questions on Twitter this week. The volume is just too much, but you, as a consigliere service subscriber, can send me questions via email or via direct message on Twitter, and I will get back to you quickly with thorough advice A lot of sites charge you for their content, but that content does not include answers to your very specific, very unique fantasy dilemmas. You've played fantasy football for a long time. You know how these tough decisions come up every week. Let me be your consigliere and whisper advice in your ear whenever you need help with a thorny fantasy dilemma. To check out my Patreon service, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash fits on fantasy. My thanks once again to Jason Wood of Football Guys. Find him on Twitter at FBGWood. A big thank you, as always, to my producer, Mr. Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And be sure to check out the podcast he co-hosts with Sean Siegel. It's called Rotoviz Overtime. They do two episodes a week, and you can find it at rotoviz.com. It's a terrific show. Special thanks 
to my colleague, Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl. Special thanks to International Jet Set for the music. And last but not least, my sincere thanks to all of you. To those of you who've just done drafts, I hope you're happy with the way things went. And even if you're not, just remember that while the draft is important, you can always win a title through superior in-season management. And for those of you with drafts coming up this week and over the Labor Day weekend, best of luck to you. Break a leg. Go visit thefootballgirl.com and check out my rankings, which I'll be updating daily throughout the week. Okay, that's it. It's bar time. Finish your drinks. Go home. Don't wake the neighbors on your way out. Thanks again, everyone. Talk to you soon. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you?